0: Hey, what's up, guys? This is Kadeem Carrington. Here my guys at Left Coast Pirates. <laughs> Seconds to go down by
1: two. Here's Whitehead guarded by Ocefu, gets the step into the lane, goes to the bucket, layup, rolls around and in, and a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pound from Trenton. Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes!
0: From just west of the Ward Place Gate in Sandy. California. He is Mike Dizzieri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Happy Thanksgiving, Pirate fans, and we're back for another edition of Left Coast Pirates. It is Sunday, November 29th, 2020, and we just got done with Thanksgiving weekend. And man, we had lots to be thankful for this week. Mike, what
1: have you been thankful for? Happy Thanksgiving, Tommy. To be honest, I I was thinking about coming on with my monologue and kind of going back to what I did last year and just breaking down all the tough losses we've had over the Thanksgiving years. You got like the Florida game, you got like Long Beach State, we had the Oregon meltdown last year.
0: Mr. Grinch.
1: But but then I thought to myself, you know what, come in. Tommy's always yelling at me, be positive, don't be an Eeyore. And I was like, okay, how, how do I want to approach this? So, yes, Tom, I am thankful that college basketball is back. And I could not get enough of it for the first few days. I mean, how could you not step back, sit down as a college basketball fan, turn on the television, and not watch number one Gonzaga Versus number six Kansas. Jalen Suggs living up to all the hype as a five star recruit as the Zags drop one oh two on the Jayhawks. Then I'm up late night watching Georgia State defeat Georgia Tech in four overtimes. And I'm I'm texting you, Hey, Shaw Sean St. Peter's got St. John's on the ropes. You mushed them. You did. absolutely mushed them, Mikey. If that was a Seton Hall loss, man, we would be lamenting over that for days. But St. Peter's lets one slip away. They lose by one. Then I'm watching Villanova versus Arizona State. And Jeremiah Robinson Earl looks like the real deal in his second game, putting in 28 points. He's going to challenge Sandro for that Carl Malone award, let me tell you. And then I'm waking up Friday morning. It's all about the Pirates, right? Nope. I'm watching San Francisco knock off number four Virginia as Sam Hausard, our good old friend, misses a three at the buzzer. Don't sleep
0: I mean, on those Dons, Mike. They're a good
1: team this year. I mean, this is before I'm settling into my seat to watch the Pirates lace them up and get back into action for the first time. I have a friend, Tommy, who always says, you know it's that special time of year when you begin to hear the sneakers squeaking on the hardwood. And with little and no fans in the stands, you can hear the squeaking louder than ever. And it's music to my ears. College basketball is back. I am just thankful that we are back. I I don't know how we're back yet. I don't know how we move forward, but we're back. So how can you not be thankful? Oh, I was
0: sincerely thankful sitting there Friday after Thanksgiving with a little turkey in my belly watching the watching the pirates play the Cardinals and I I almost couldn't believe my eyes it was almost like I was sitting there nervous like they were going to turn off the game at halftime or something it was great and we've got lots to talk about today we're going to talk about the recap of that Louisville game we're going to talk about the pandemic pandemonium that's happening across country and we're going to preview the possible upcoming games now can you believe I got to say we're going to preview the possible upcoming games Mike but that's the world we live in right now but first Louisville 71 Seton Hall 70 the first half was a tight back and forth and it was tied at 38 at the half Louisville started the second half with a 14-4 run and with 824 to play Seton Hall put on a beauty of an 11-0 run itself to tie the game at 60 three ties and five lead changes took place after that and Taco Moson almost put us into overtime when he was fouled with 0. .7 left to play. Makes those two
1: first free throws and then front rims the last. I didn't bush him. I was saying a Hail Mary. I don't know if that counts as mushing him, but the, the last one just didn't go. I think he got eye spite of the ref, but we'll get into that in a they, second. They, they did. The guys switched spots on the free throw line. Come on. Anyway, stats for the game. Uh, Seton Hall. My boy, first double-double of the year. Andro, 22 points and 10 boards. Shavar Reynolds and Jared Roden each chipping in with 11 points. On the other side, you had Carly Jones lead the way for Louisville with 18 points, 11 rebounds, and six assists. Seton Hall obviously was a little bit rusty. They shot 33% from the floor, 6 of 23 from three-point range for a 26% clip. They did hold an, a 43-41 to 41 edge on the boards, predominantly because they crashed the offensive glass to a tune of 16 rebounds. Tommy, let's start. What are your takeaways? I'll let you go first in our blue-tinted glasses section.
0: Well, I'll tell you, Mike, I'm glad we didn't do this podcast right after the game because what, what do we always say? Don't podcast angry. But you get to sit back a little bit and maybe appreciate the game a little more. Sandro came out and did exactly what we wanted him to do. He had a solid game and he didn't disappear for long stretches of the game. It seemed like this is my game, this is what I'm gonna do. He was looking for a shot. He was truly aggressive on the offensive glass. I think six of those 10 boards came on the offensive side. And you know what? He really stepped it up, especially when Aiken went down. And you know what, Mike? He shot the ball well from both inside and out. He shot five and nine inside, and he also shot three from seven from outside the paint. It was truly the game. And Mike, what did I text you at one point? I said, good, Sandro, step up now. And he did. I loved it. You're going to make me criticize Sandra. I
1: can't believe that you get the good side of the coin. I get the bad side of the coin. There's always good and bad. Come on. It's not bad. I, I just, I thought he was more effective when the ball went inside, whether it was a miss and he crashed for the quick offensive rebound on the putback that five for nine that he shot inside the paint just seemed to be uh, aggressive, uh, more efficient, the offense that we should be looking to try to get him involved with nothing wrong with the three of seven from outside, but there was a couple of moments where you're like that shot was rushed or maybe he forced it a little bit, even down the stretch. He had that like fadeaway jump shot at the elbow. Even Frank Schiller called it a, you know, kind of a bad yeah, that, shot. That's
0: probably the only bad shot he took the rest. I mean, you know, it's just in the flow of the game. We're nitpicking at that point. But Mike, if you're going to, if you're going to pick on something, we got to get better on defense and Sandro needs to move his feet a little faster. Uh, Before
1: you move on. I mean, you, you mentioned that he was more involved. Why was he more involved? Because the offense has to go through him. Now that wasn't the case. It was a lot of times last year, very guard oriented with Q and obviously miles Powell, where Sandro just had to pick his spots, get his shots in the flow, grab an offensive rebound. Now they're going to have to run the offense through him. I like it when they go into the post and allow him to kind of do his thing that will prevent him from going through those bigger lulls that you're concerned about. That That's what I saw in this game is that if we run the offense through him, you'll see less of Sandro disappearing. And, nope. and I think you'll see
0: less of four shots for him as, as the season continues and the guys kind of get into their role because Sandro's got great court vision. He passes well for a big man. So I
1: think he's going to create a little more than we're expecting. Okay. So, so you want to talk about his defense needing to get better or the lack thereof Mike if you were going to start picking on defense trust me we could talk about this much more as we move forward sure the lack of defense is not going to be highlighted by what Sandro was doing wrong in this game it is clearly highlighted around other guys that took the court so I'm going to I'm going to give him a pass I'm not going to pick on Sandro for any defensive lapses I want to move on and continue to talk about the positives keep those blue tinted glasses on let's go into the area of turnovers once again we were concerned about possibly coming out rusty, sloppy, not sure where the point guard play was going to be. Tommy, they only turned it over nine times. I would have expected a lot more. Limited practice, our first game, kind of a road environment because Louisville had 3,000 fans in the building. What's your takeaway with the the nine turnovers?
0: I I am pleasantly surprised, but I think there's a caveat there. I don't know that we ran all that much offense, Mike. I I do remember us taking a lot of early shots in the shot clock. I remember seeing a lot of guys, Jared Roden, Miles Kale, taking shots, or even Bryce Aiken, you know, taking shots way early in that shot clock after one pass. So you're not going to get a whole lot of team turnovers taking shots like that. I, I bet a bunch of... Of those team turnovers were
1: coming through Ike's slippery hands. Tommy, that is not fair. The weave was in midseason form. <laughs> they had that thing moving. That that ball was hopping, man. Come on. No, I I, I completely agree on this point. There wasn't a lot of penetration uh, in the pick and roll setup of the offense that was aggressively going to the basket, therefore causing the players to have to make decisions that would possibly lead to either a playmaking basket or conversely a turnover it was a lot of pass the ball around the perimeter and as you just eloquently put a lot of early shots in the shot clock that were just jacking up threes as as you can see from the team taking 23 for the game i just i don't want to see that many threes being put up especially the way that they were being taken they weren't late in the shot clock where we had to put them up there was like you said a lot of just i'm going to take this shot because we got nothing else going a lot right. of one-on-one isolation. I mean, there was a sequence where Kale's just standing in the corner and you're like, what's he doing? No, no, don't shoot a three here. A jab step. No, no, don't do it. And then he put three and it was just – it just didn't seem like the threes were in the flow a- no. at all. No, not at all here. All right, let, let, let's move on. This is a guy that I hyped up coming into the season. I really thought we were going to see a lot of good things out of this guy. We got a mixed bag. Some people are uh, loving what they saw as their initial take. Other people are like, "Are you kidding me?" He shot to a twelve, but I thought to call Molson in his first action falls into the positive category for what we saw. I'll give you my take. If you want to beat the kid up, go right ahead. But I don't think it's not
0: beating the kid up, Mike. It's (laughs) crazy. Come
1: on, man. Go ahead. Finish up your thought. I didn't think he was afraid of the moment. That's that's I me. Mean, sometimes guys come in and they're afraid to assert themselves. They're tentative. He was not. He was going strong to the basket. He was getting involved on the defensive end, which we thought he was going to do based on what we saw from the flow hoops Italy exhibition games. He was one, always in position defensively. He just kind of showed you that kind of moxie. I, I definitely thought that that was going to translate, and it did. He was grabbing the boards. He had six of them. He drew a bunch of fouls on the offensive side that maybe didn't lead to free throws, but put the other team closer to the penalty. Tommy, I know this is kind of sounding kind of like simplistic, but he can dribble for a two guard. He's got a handle. I, we don't have a lot of guys that can do that. We we, we pick on Kale. Kale has not developed his handle. Molson looks like he can dribble the ball and be aggressive. It, it just seems like he can basically once, once in a while take over, run a point kind of scenario where he can dribble and beat his guy to the basket. And to be honest, he was the only guy consistently getting into the paint off the dribble in this game. I get it. His sh- shot was clearly off in all aspects, but that can't be what gets highlighted for this game. Mike has
0: clearly chosen his new favorite here. It's going to be Sandro, Rodin, and then Tackle Because some of those drives that Mike is hyping up were looking very Torian and Thompson esque. I'll just tell you, these weren't just misses. Oh. These were out of control drives. These were the type of rec center drives where you're sitting there going, Ooh, that kid's got some nice moves. And when the ball hits way high of the square on the backboard, you're thinking, you're Bis Oh, he really didn't have a nice move. He was just trying to force something. Now, I like Taco. I think he's going to bring a lot of good stuff, and I think people like you are putting too much pressure on him because just like Q, he's going to have to get himself used to Biggie's playing big-time basketball. And, and, Mike, I can't believe what I'm hearing for you. Here's a guy who went 2 for 12 from the field, Mike. He hit 1-3, and he didn't hit any of his layups, Mike. He hit one mid-range jumper, which you were proudly texting me about mid-range jumper mid-range jumper i'm an 80s basketball guy you know i mean come on man i think he's gonna get better but another thing you know you, you think he's gonna get up to the point guard and 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 run some plays i mean he actually brought the ball up one time and he immediately went to the hole and threw up a crazy shot you know what that's not running a play mike that's another one of those wreck leagues. Oh, crap. I just threw the ball really high off the backboard type play. He needs to breathe. He needs to play within
1: himself. And you know what? He needs to get better. You, you want to call Tackle my next in line for my, my group of boys. This is going to be the next in line for the Tommy-Mike love-hate relationship. Not that at all. With not Sandra. at all. I think he's going to be a good
0: addition. I don't think a two-for-12 day and missing the last free throw with .7 seconds left is going to put him in the starting five, Mike. Hey, that,
1: that, that's not fair. Let, let's rewind oh, for a second. that's, coming that's into, totally Coming fair. into this game, I said that if you look at his stats, he shot 27% from three when he was at Canisius when the line was closer, right? He shot 0 of 9 in the Italian exhibition games and his three looked a little kind of shaky during those games. And yes, he was hitting like the side of the backboard and coming nowhere close. So I do like his game and I see him more in the mold of a John Allen type who lived in the mid-range, a Brian Lang who lived in the mid-range. Can he hit an occasional three? Yes, he, he, he made one out of five. Do I want him jacking up threes all game long? No, the scouting report's clearly going to say that's his shot to take until he starts making them because he had them wide open and he was missing them pretty poorly. And he took five of them, Mike. He took five of them. In terms of his layups, if you want to say that the guy is rusty, you know, all the games, all the exhibitions, all the practice time, when you get live in a game, that's when you're going to see some of the rusts finishing around the rim, full contact, live action. Let's, let's see it play out. I love like, the excuses. I love the excuses for guys
0: you like, Mike. Let's move on. Come on.
1: All right, all right. Bryce Aiken. I mean, everybody is putting all the eggs in the basket of Bryce Aiken, and I understand why in the limited minutes that he played, you clearly saw that the offense had more pace with him on the floor. It was night and day. He was a plus seven when he was out there, With his uh, fellow pirates i i i don't want to go into this you know rabbit hole if we don't have a point guard but man if he is not healthy we have some issues let's talk about the positives of bryce
0: there was definitely a feeling that he could attack the rim in any moment you're not getting that from shavar and you certainly weren't getting that from Jahari, who looked really kind of tentative in the moment but yes he looks like he's gonna go now I could have done without the forced threes that he was taking at times, but he looked, I mean, he looked pretty good. And when we're done talking about
1: Bryce and what he brought to the game, I got a bone to pick with the program for a second go ahead. I mean, because well, you didn't get to see that much of I- Bryce. He played for seven minutes. He showed confidence in wanting to look for his three-point shot. He was aggressive in the paint. Uh, he drew a foul. He got a basket and won. I-, I like what I see from Bryce, but I didn't get enough of a sample because of the rolled ankle. Go ahead. What's so your, let's what's your... not
0: talk about we only saw seven minutes of Bryce here, okay? So we were all shocked that at the start of the game that Shavar was going to make his second career start. You know, he started a couple years ago Against Georgetown uh, when they benched Quincy for a few bad games. But the quotes coming out from Kevin in the program said, I don't know what I'm going to get from Bryce. To me, that sounds like, okay, I'm going to play him a handful of minutes. Hopefully I get a little positivity out of it. And then we'll see what happens from there. He played eight of the nine minutes after he checked in at about the 16-minute mark of the first half. Mike, that doesn't tell me I don't know what I'm going to get out of Bryce. If you put Bryce in at the 16-minute mark and then took him out three minutes later, let him sit for another five, eight minutes, then you put him in for another three minutes— that's managing time. I don't know what Kevin's talking about anymore, man. It's almost like you know I'm not gonna listen to what coaches got to say because he's not saying anything of interest anyway. So why did he not start
1: him? I don't understand. I, no idea. No idea. I, 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 I'm I'm at a loss of words here. I, I'm I'm tongue tied. There there's no value in sitting him for those first four minutes. Bryce Aiken is a grad transfer senior who was played against power five competition, did he really need to absorb the flow of the game for the first four minutes by visually watching on the sideline? I, I don't get that. I'm with you. If he literally was playing him for 50% of the minutes, I get it, but he was on the court for the two thirds of the game up until that point before he got injured he was on pace to play 25 plus minutes i don't understand why there had to be this big story about not starting him it it makes no
0: sense if you're gonna say i don't know what i'm getting out of him and you end up playing him eight to ten minutes that makes sense to me you're spacing out his time so he doesn't get i don't know winded hurt or whatever And, and then he goes down with that ankle We'll get to uh, Willard's quote about the ankle later, but what are you doing? I mean, it, it's almost like you don't know what you're doing out there. It's scary. And Bobby, since...
1: party revved up for sour grapes and grapes. Oh, here, that's what I You beat me through the <laughs> transition. But yes, yes. Let's get into sour grapes and grapes, Mike. Uh, I'll, I'll go first this time. So this was not your traditional Louisville team. I think there's a lot of people that kind of see the name on the Jersey, see that we were playing in a pseudo road environment and they were already kind of building up the expectation for the loss. Here's what's interesting to me. You go out to these message boards and you, they kind of have this thread that's typically out there before a game that, you know, says, who do you have in this one? And normally the blue tinted glasses are on and like 85% of the, the people are picking Seton Hall to win typically, no matter who the opponent is. And I was kind of surprised with all the lead up or maybe even the propaganda to kind of plant in the minds of everyone that they haven't had practice. They had to quarantine all the what ifs that people were already kind of expecting a loss. It felt like almost 85 percent of that message thread was picking Louisville to win the game. I was kind of surprised. Louisville had two guys that were hurt. One of them was their senior captain big man in the middle. The rest of that starting lineup, Tom, two sophomores, two freshmen, and Sam Williamson, their jack-of-all-trades sophomore small forward, also gets hurt rolling his ankle in that game and didn't play predominantly over the whole second half. That team was Carly Jones and really nobody else. I'm sorry. I don't want to take moral victories away from this game again because regardless of all the other variables – That was not a vintage Louisville team. Maybe they get better. Maybe they do finish somewhere around fifth in the ACC as they were predicted by the coaches. But I did not see a good Louisville team at that point on the court yesterday. They had just as many issues as we did that they needed to address in an early season game.
0: Yeah, I don't believe in moral victories in this in, in this kind of moment. I, I do believe there's positive things that you could take from the game, and we kind of brought it up. Sandro doing a nice job. I think one thing we didn't talk about was that comeback. I mean, they came back being double digits point down. Uh, with a team that we're sitting there going who's gonna be this who's gonna step up especially with their supposed starting point card being done for the game so I, I don't know if it's a moral victory but there's positives you can bring back and the one thing I think this really points to Mike is my math was right and practice matters I mean we're talking about practice You know, the guys didn't have enough time to reacclimate. They were, I mean, you saw they were rusty. The shots weren't going down. The offense really wasn't being run. And it's it's nice that we have positive th- things to talk about. But, yes, th- this isn't a Louisville team from last year. And and who knows what
1: they're going to look like later. No, you're right. You bring up a really good point. They, they got down by 11. If that 11 was in the first half, there's a lot of basketball to play, figure things out, rally back. They got punched in the mouth coming right out of halftime, being tied 38-38. And you look up at that scoreboard, and with 12 minutes to go, you're like, this could get away from us, you know, their heads might have been down, but they came back and immediately put together that 11-0 run and got right back into it once again. Kind of on the road, you you could still feel the energy from the 3,000 fans in the crowd. That's a really good point. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna back off and say the moral victory there is that gritty Seton Hall team camaraderie that was still on display. Okay, fair enough. What, what else you got for me?
0: Well, I'll tell you one thing that personally disappoints uh, me is that one of my favorites, Miles Kale, was still playing like like his junior self and not so much like his sophomore self. He ended up finishing the game with six points, all in the first half. He didn't shoot the ball well, especially from deep. He was 0 for 4 from 3. And a couple of them, it just wasn't even pretty to watch. I mean, there was one sequence when he breaks the first three-pointer. Uh, there's an offensive rebound that gets shuffled back up to him. He tries to take some sort of uh, sidestep move on him and then shoots another three, and, and it airballs. And I'm just thinking to myself, none of his shots were in the rhythm like we've said, and we've seen Miles Kale shoot well from three, but it's usually in rhythm, in some sort of play. He's trying to take these things off the dribble, and it's not, it's not good. I mean, and he's supposed to be the defense of Stallworth that I've been talking up for four years, and there was an instance when he missed a three, and he let his guy leak out for a dunk on the fast break. I mean, you just can't let that happen.
1: The three, the second three that you're talking about that airballed, he didn't even sidestep. He he caught the ball, stepped right into his shot, and he airballed it. He's just off. And you were hoping that this first game was going to be a positive, that he's turning the corner, and then he can build upon that going into the season. I, I don't know Miles' psyche, uh, but you would see, think that from what we saw last year, he needs to have his confidence at a high level and see the ball go in the basket this first game did not kind of build upon the things that I think he needed to see happen. The other thing that conversely could be a concern is Willard likes to play favorites. You can yell at me all you want for call making to call Molson, my new favorite, but if Bryce doesn't get hurt, Molson already played almost 30 minutes that game and kale played like 26. If Bryce doesn't get hurt is kale already kind of getting, you know, pushed down in the pecking order in terms of the minutes he's going to play with yes yes
0: i yeah yes i've seen kevin Willard looking at the box score saying yes the guy who shot two for 12 and then missed the final foul shot that's the guy i'm starting right now i don't and and that's not fair to tackle but I'll, but i don't know that that's the right question mike here's the right question is kevin willard the right coach for a player of miles Kale type and and this isn't a time to jump on Kevin Willard's back but think about what I'm going to say here we had an interview over the summer and I can't place who said it but the the point was Willard likes to give his stars the ball and let them make plays. And Kale seems to be the kind of guy that needs to be put in the right position to amplify his skill set. Like I think it's an absolute sin. I think it's a crime that we haven't run more with him. I think he could be the guy sneaking out on the fast break. We saw it a bunch of times in his freshman year, and and since then, I don't know that we've run a real fast break outside of dumping it backwards to uh, Miles Powell for a three.
1: You, you got to be able to rebound well in order to kind of ignite the fast break. You have to have an aggressive point guard that can handle the ball and traffic on the fast break. These, these are the kind of things that we really haven't had in our roster makeup since Miles has been on the team. My, my bigger issue is this. People say that it doesn't matter who starts. It matters who finishes. And if you watch down the stretch, I know it's only game one, and I know Molson was shooting two of 12, but on the court down the stretch, you had Shavar, you had Molson, you had Roden, Sandro, and surprisingly, Ike didn't pick up his fifth foul. Ike was getting the run at the five. Cale was not on the court. Oh, okay, that- Mike, let,
0: let's take a look at that five you just talked about. Three of those five guys had subpar games, Mike. So I don't know how much of your uh, thought process here really works. Ike had an awful game. He couldn't catch flies with those hands. Rodin, I'm shocked he had 11 points because because you were calling the translucent guy for most of the game, as I was calling Kale the invisible guy. And <laughs> and we've already gone over Taco's game. So at
1: this point. Who is he going to play? There weren't a whole lot of guys that were being standouts. That's my point. This is not about who had the better game. Kevin was already starting to show you that in a close game, down the stretch, he was already trusting Molson over Kale. Okay, Tom, I, I don't disagree. Let, let's talk about, you didn't like Ike's performance. Let, let's talk about Tyrese and Ike in the center position or at the five. They both got into foul trouble quickly, and that just can't happen. We don't have the depth up front. You know, Jeff Ngandu is is still kind of battling his visa issues in Canada. Who? So that's not fair to Jeff. <laughs> Come on, Tom. But, but, but you were hoping to have Jeff as a body in the middle to be a presence on the defensive end to just give you some quality minutes. Go ahead, say
0: it, Mike. You're
1: expecting Jeff to be five fouls. I understand, Mike. I'm not going to use that language ever again. <laughs> okay? So I was expecting Jeff to be – fill some minutes defensively in the middle when you had a situation like what happened in the Louisville game where you got early foul trouble on your two bigs. We don't have that. I need these guys to be smarter and, and judicious in how they're going to give out their fouls. There were a couple sloppy not moving your feet uh, away from the basket on a, on a dribble drive. There were two loose ball fouls, one on each of them trying to grab an offensive rebound. I just You can't give away those type fouls. They need to be better in the pick and roll and they need to stay on their feet and be vertical once in a while. We talked about this last year. You made fun of me. We talked about Grant and and Aaron Jaramapur and walling up and all the guys who can't jump. I got it. I got it, Mike. But, But they're scouted. They're getting thrown a pump fake. They're leaving their feet and the defender is drawing easy foul. You already saw that kind of happen in this game already. They have to be better than that. Don't you agree? I think what I see here, Mike, is you
0: playing favorites again because Jared Roden actually, your boy Jared Roden, fouled out of that game. Yes, the fifth foul came in in the final seconds, but he had foul trouble as well. I'm going to tick this off to lack of practice time I'm hoping that they can get better as the practice comes up some of it is actually kind of paying attention to the situation there was one real bad one where uh, Tyrese was faked out of his jock with a little head fake and he went up to block it like he's you know row or something and you know I think that's more uh, repetitions in practice and I think if it still happens by the end of this week if we've got four games of these guys getting into quick foul trouble, then we could say, yes, we've got a problem here. But at this point, I
1: think it's chalked up to lack of practice time. OK, because because they were in our if category and neither one of them showed this leap towards progression. And I know it's only one game. But if like you said, if that manifests itself and continues to rear its ugly head, that's going to be a concern in the front court.
0: Well, uh, l- let's let's move on. But lots of our ifs didn't come through this week, Mike, and one of them was if Bryce Aiken can stay healthy for the season, I mean, he already, eight minutes into his career at Seton Hall, he's down with an ankle. So, what's going to happen if we have Bryce Aiken being out for an extended time period? There really is no answer right now. A point guard. Take a look at the team. They only had 10 team assists for the game. As well as Shavar played and the nice line he had, he's not a point guard. With the exception of one time off of the pick and roll, there was no penetration. I mean, that's not his skill set. If he came in and had that line coming off the bench, backing up the two, I'd be sitting there clapping my hands together. But he's just not there as a point guard for a team that's going to go far this year. We didn't see Jahari Long in that first half. We really didn't see him until about 1237 left in the second half. And he looked tentative as hell. And I can appreciate that. I mean, it's as a freshman kid, he probably wasn't. Uh, even prepared to play any today, or was wasn't ex- maybe not prepared in the right turn, but expected to play. I don't care what Kevin Willard's been hyping him up as for the entire preseason. It didn't look like he was
1: ready wasn't expecting to play. You got all the quotes from Kevin. We got John Fanta on. John hadn't even seen him. And he's like, I'm expecting big things from Jahari Long this year from all the talk that Kevin's got. John didn't even blink. He's like, absolutely, a lot of confidence in Jahari. Tom, I'm a student of history, Mike. And
0: I know one thing, and that's Kevin doesn't like to play as
1: freshman unless he has to. Okay, so forget about Kevin's history and what Kevin doesn't like to do. Let's go off the eye test. I know it's game one. And geez, it was only like two to three minutes of playing time that we could even dissect. But Jahari got the ball at the top of the key. And he looked to pass. He didn't look to set up a pick and roll. He didn't try to aggressively attack, you know, towards the basket. He was very, as you put it, very timid. He was not aggressive. He didn't even have that look of like, I want to kind of run the show right now. And I'm going to take a lot of slack for this. Cause I know it's going to start coming up. He was being recruited up against Posh Alexander. It sounded like for a while Seton Hall had their pick of the two guys. And the mindset was, hey, Posh is more of a lead guard. We want to start going down the path of a traditional point guard that's going to look to pass first. So at the time, you you sell me that that, that kind of background of both players, and we're all on board with Jahari Long, even though he's a little bit under-recruited or under the radar. His rankings end up kind of coming out ahead of Posh, But Tommy, the eye test man, I'm watching Posh put his head down and kind of start trying to take over games for St. John's with all their injury issues in the first two matchups. Here's a guy who's putting in, I forgot what it was like, was it 15, four steals, six rebounds, three assists, playing multiple minutes, and the guy opposite that we recruited wasn't expecting to play, was was timid with the basketball, The comparisons are going to start to come. I'm not telling you that I'm on that train yet, but I already see the writing on the wall where this is heading. If that's the production, you're going to get out of Jahari. Conversely, you're not giving Shavar enough credit. Shavar played a great game. He just did not play the great game that you need out of what is going to be asked for him to do at the point guard position. He played a great game when he scored as a two guard, two of his baskets, were him dribble driving and creating a little jump shot. He got a spot up three pointer that Sandro set him up for. He got a bucket in transition. All the things that we said last year that you love Shavar doing in his skill set. What did he do in terms of the skill set of point guard that makes you believe that potentially we play four games in seven days that if Bryce doesn't play, we're okay at the point guard position.
0: I don't know what you what constitutes a great game in your eyes, Mike. Shavar had a nice game. He scored his points. I mean, you know what? His outside shot really wasn't all that good this game. His lockdown defense was so good that Carleek Jones almost pulled a triple-double on him.
1: Eh, Carleek, hang on, hang on. Carleek was 6 of 17, and... Shavar didn't get open shots because you know why Shavar didn't get open shots? Because Miles Powell's get... not on the team anymore. That's why. Because he's got the ball as the primary ball handler. You know, He can't create the shot off the dribble. He can't create his own step back jump shot. He's got to get open shots within the offense. And Shavar was starting the offense. So nobody else was setting him up. Shavar is not going to get to shoot the ball from three point range, unless it just happens to come to him with an open look and with him with being the primary ball handler, that's not going to happen. Tom, he shot four of eight. He shot four. Yes, he had a couple of bad shots, but he was four of eight. You're killing Jared Roden for being three of 12. You're killing Molson for being two of 12. Shavar goes four of eight. I'm sorry. Look at the stat line. That's, that's one of the better games on the team. I, I'm but, not but, killing him. You're, you're putting
0: him in the Hall of Fame already. You're talking about great games. I know uh, great games, Mike. That's not a great game. It's a good I'll, game. He played well.
1: I'll, I'll retract. I'll say good game. The, the gripe here was... There are concerns that if Aiken is hurt, we don't have the depth at point guard. When does that stop, Tom? When does this team having no depth at point guard going to stop? Uh, (laughs) Next year when Ryan Conway shows up? I don't know. Okay, but this is is 2020, 2021. I can't wait
0: till next year. We're playing basketball now. You got to hope that Jahari Long had some butterflies in his stomach. I, I mean, you're talking about not being involved and he'll be the final point. There was a part late in that second half where he was in, he, he passes over to the wing, and then he gets waved away to the far corner and basically he's out of the play at this point. And, and if that's what you have, you might as well not play the kid. You might as well put another wing in there. All right, we're, anyway, we're but going off, let, we're going let's, off the let's, rails. Let,
1: all right, wrap it up, wrap up. All right, and
0: so, you know, what are my final thoughts on this? Well, none of our ifs were really answered. Save potentially sandro stepping up this game every other if is still an if again we've got to worry about the injury to bryce aiken it was a non-contact injury and it was man freaky.
1: It, was, it was freaky and, and, and it,
0: it looked like up. he was shot i i was worried that it wasn't an ankle it was an achilles the way he went down i i, I don't know man it, it's it's going to be a long season if he doesn't play
1: Look, I'll say this: we can break, we're going to do this all season, breaking down games like we do. It's it's fun. The good, the bad, the blue glasses, the sour grapes and gripes this was a glorified exhibition game to me that unfortunately just counts in the schedule. And that's the way this college basketball season is going to be. This is the ramp up time and the pauses and the reacclamations. It's just going to be a weird season. And I think the non-conference we're going to have to kind of throw a lot of it out the window, but you can't keep kind of taking losses and then chalking them up to, well, I was just kind of like more of an exhibition practice game. We're going to have to win some of these non-conference games and not come out 1-4, uh, 0-5 you know, oh, kind of scenario. And I think we'll be fine, but I still thought that this was one that they could have just stolen and gotten out of Dodge from, like I said, not your traditional Louisville team.
0: Yeah, I don't know that you're throwing them out the window because you're two points away from actually winning it, and then you're not calling it a glorified exhibition season, Mike. So let's move on here.
1: (laughs) All right, well, let's break down our new segment, which we're going to call Turning Point, where we're going to take a moment of the game where we thought it swung one way or the other, and this is where they really had a chance to win this game. So let's go break it down. To me, the turning point of the game, Louisville hits the go-ahead bucket, To go up 69 to 68 there's 35 seconds to play matt calls a timeout willard comes out of that timeout and goes zone for the first time in the ball game you have kale and reynolds at the top of the zone and they jump out to trap the ball and they catch jones kind of kind of you know caught off guard towards the sideline but jones splits it with a pass to the high post and then everything breaks down after that trainer drives ike to the basket Sandro doesn't hedge hard enough and fades to the corner. Ike leaves his feet. Trainer puts up a shot, misses, grabs the rebound, immediately puts it back up for the lead. Tom, Louisville had scored seven points over the previous eight minutes prior to that possession. And Kevin Willard has been known for these creative late-in-the-game defensive schemes off of a timeout. But do you think he outthought himself in this specific game situation?
0: Uh, potentially. I mean, I think the execution was was at fault here, not necessarily the game plan here. Maybe the guys haven't practiced enough to actually successfully um, execute that ike seemed a little tentative on his defense i think he he had a four fouls at that point so potentially he didn't want to get a fifth foul up up high and then put him on the line what What? get a fifth foul with the with seconds to go in the game you don't give the guy a layup because you don't want to get your fifth foul i'm just i'm telling you that Uh, right i think it goes back to practice I, i don't know that he was thinking it out as much i think you know that that's what I saw. I saw it was an execution thing more than a strategy thing.
1: Okay. Uh, So to me, that's the turning point because now whenever you're down by a bucket under 30 seconds to play, all the momentum shifts to the other team. I, I know there was another play where we had a chance to get the go ahead bucket, What are your thoughts on the final sequence where Sandro sets up Molson for that game winning drive down the lane?
0: Can you believe we're going to talk about a really great inbounds play from Seton hall? I mean, I mean, it wasn't under the basket where we're used to just throwing, you know, a pass up to half court and restarting the offense, but it was a nice play. Now, maybe I don't run Molson on that, considering he wasn't having a whole lot of success driving the ball to the basket. Maybe I run Road in there. But I, again, I've got no problem with the play itself. I mean, it was a nice run
1: play. Sorry, so I think this is where things kind of get lost. I don't think the play was for Molson to get the ball there. But they did, I'm very happy with. They ran Sandro in the post. They didn't say, hey, Sandro, let's go kind of create – outside off the dribble, like he did the possession before he got into the post. He had a distinctive size advantage. You highlighted it earlier. The guy has the ability to pass, you know, if he sees the right play and he did Molson watched his defender, turn his head. He basically did like a backdoor cut towards the basket and Sandro made the right pass. He doesn't make the pass there and continues to back down his defender to get a look. I'm happy with that sequence as well. That, that would have been fine. So you're right. Coming out of that timeout, I'm very happy with kind of what they drew up and how it played out. The ball just didn't go in. Molson misses. Ike grabs the offensive rebound point blank, bricks that thing off the rim again. Sandro comes flying in for a tip. It's not like they didn't get a good look. A, a bounce here, a bounce there, maybe a foul call because Molson Molson didn't go up soft. He went up pretty damn strong. Maybe if they're home, they get that foul call and you're walking out of dodge with a victory.
0: If Molson gets that ball to go in, man, we're just sitting there going, whoa, did you see that? And speaking of bad transitions, Mikey,
1: what made you say, whoa, did you see that? You're going to hate me. I, I, I don't really have a lot to pick from this game. There was no throwdown monster dunk. There was no, you know, N1 foul from three. We got, we got spoiled with some of the stuff that we got from Romero, Gill and Miles Powell last year. They were kind of just filling this section up. But down 60 to 57, Sandro drives from the top of the circle and dishes off to Ike, who caught the pass. And after that, everyone else got the heck out of his way before he threw down a monster dunk. Can they seriously play high-low? That's what I took away from that. I was like, wow, here's Sandro being athletic. He creates the mismatch, draws the defense. Ike gets the ball and boom, took advantage of the mismatch. I'm sitting there going, where was that all game long? Where was that all game long? Yeah, I don't know
0: if you're going to get that out of Sandro and Ike. Maybe Sandro and Tyrese. I think Ike's almost at the point where we're going to call him hands of stone because he's just not catching anything out there, man. But I'm going to trump you, Mike, and I'm going to go more kind of esoteric here. You know what my woe did you see that moment was, Mike? When they threw up that jump ball and they tipped off. The opening tip for me was... Whoa, did you finally see that?
1: Esoteric. I I can't maintain that type of vocabulary. <laughs> of esoteric. S- speaking speaking of words that are just plucked out of the air, let let's go on to our next segment, which is and now- With Kevin Willard. All right, on this segment, we we kind of rolled it out over the summertime. We're going to take Kevin's quote, and we're going to kind of break it down, good, bad, or indifferent, and we're going to kind of banter back and forth after what Coach said in the postgame. One of his quotes that he threw out there was relative to Sandro stepping up. I need to get him involved a little bit more early. We really couldn't run a whole lot of stuff for him because of the lack of practice. Sandro, we're going to ride him. Everybody knows we're going to ride him. But I loved his aggressiveness, thought he was really good at wanting the basketball. Even when he missed shots early in the second half, he wanted the basketball. He's our main guy like that without practicing. Just think about what he's going to be in a few weeks. Tommy, you get the first one well
0: he's not wrong and actually the first few minutes of the game i thought to myself why are they not getting the ball to sandro more you know in the first eight minutes of the first half you know we saw a lot of shots coming out of bryce aiken we saw a lot of long range shots from a lot of guys and but sandro didn't feel like he was kind of just fading into the background But how much practice do you need to get your best player to ball? I mean, again, you had an entire summer to come up with ways of getting Sandro to ball. And I, I don't get it, really.
1: If, if you're trying to tell me that Bryce Aiken was expected to be the guy, or it was going to be a balance of the two. And then the minute that Bryce goes down with the injury, Hey, we had to kind of shift gears and make it more, you know, centric around Sandra and we weren't ready for that. Okay. But yeah, it, with more practice, he's now going to be the man. It, it, he's a senior. He's on all the watch lists for these big awards. First team, all preseason Big East, you know, conference player. I, I I'm confused as always. All right, go ahead. Give me the next one. Okay, so on the Bryce Aiken injury, he sprained
0: it pretty good. It's probably a good week off, I would say. Those are the kind of injuries that when you haven't played, you get.
1: Okay, I got I got two issues with this. Once again, Dr. Willard. So in the locker room, I look at his ankle and go, oh, weak. I, I could just tell tra- train die. That's a week. It's going to be uh, amputated. He... We're amputated at eh, Mike. I, I, so I'm, I'm starting to learn. I'm starting to take from my experiences and I'm going to realize that Kevin's assessment for injuries. We just kind of have to wait and see, let the player heal on its own and, and we'll, they'll come back when they're ready to play. Miles was supposed to be out for basically like 75% of the year. Miles was back doing things ungodly and unexpected based on the expectations that Kevin was setting. Uh, But my other issue is this. That's the kind of injury you get when you don't play. It wasn't a contact injury. It was a freak thing where he stepped to the right and his ankle just rolled. That happens. This is going to sound like a story for an analogy, but I'm out there getting ready to go on a hike one time, and we're literally three little baby steps. Three little baby steps, Tommy. And what do I do on the second step? I roll my ankle. Nobody pushed me I'm damn step and I roll my ankle and it loons to the size of a watermelon and I couldn't walk on it for like a, after two weeks, every injury is going to be unique to itself, but I've been out hiking every week for like three months straight. What, what, did I get not get enough practice hiking that all of a sudden I rolled my ankle that time? I, I, just, I just don't get it. I don't get the
0: comment. See, you know, he talks out of both sides of his head sometimes. You know, before the game, the reason he wasn't going to start was because Willer said, I'm not sure what I'm going to get out of him. But then I'm going to play him for eight of the first 13 minutes. And then I'm going to say, well, these are the kind of injuries that you get when you haven't played. Well, then don't play him as much. If this is seriously what you are concerned about, you play him for a couple minutes and then you rest him. Then maybe you put him in for a couple more minutes in the second half and then you rest him. You can't have it both ways. You were going to play him starter-type minutes. That's what it was trending for. You wouldn't have played him for eight of nine potential minutes and then
1: sat him for the rest of the game. It wasn't going to work that way. Should we make this segment what Kevin Willard should have said? Should we do that? I mean, all he's got to say is that's a really tough break for Bryce. I mean, he's just getting back out there. We're all concerned, obviously, about injuries. And what happens? An unfortunate non-contact injury. We don't know the extent of it yet. Could it be a week Possibly could it be longer or shorter? We don't know. We're going to have to get in there. We're going to ice it down. Let the trainers take a look, see how it feels the next day. And we're all hoping he can get back out there as soon as he can, because Bryce is an important part of our team. Why can't he just give me a good PR answer that makes common sense? Uh, That's a week. That's a week right there. You want to
0: talk about common sense? Give me the last quote. We're going to think about the common sense
1: involved here. All right, on the prospect of finding a name, Kevin says, I put out to everyone I know, I have a plane, I will come play you.
0: Okay, so I get it. So we've had issues with the schedule already this season. We had a canceled Baylor game. Saturday we had this soap opera of oh we're gonna play st joe's at the mohegan sun and then at the last second we're not gonna play st joe's and now iona is on the schedule then a few hours later All of a sudden, this rumor comes out that says we're going to head out to Omaha to play Oregon, and Matt Norlander actually tweeted out, yes, this is a done deal, but as of this recording right now, there's been no official announcement. So let's think about this right now. We're in a pandemic, we haven't practiced a whole lot, but here's the next week we're looking at. We're home against Iona on Monday. Wednesday, we got a game against URI up in Rhode Island. Now, potentially, we're going to fly out for a Friday game in Omaha against Oregon, and then we're going to come back for a Sunday game at Penn State. Or can we just stop pretending at this point? This is a professional schedule now. Can we just stop pretending
1: and just pay the kids? He, I'm on that rabbit hole. We're not going to do this. That, that's a whole podcast by itself. I know you got a lot to say on this subject matter clearly, but let, let's hold that thought. Let's wrap up the Louisville game. We got one other segment that we like to do. I, I don't know if I can find the right name for this. This one started out with stupid stuff. The answer said, then we switched over to, did they really say that we were trying to find the right verbiage. To me, it kind of falls into something like the you know the awful announcing category where I was tossing around like acronyms like is this the AARP broadcast review for like awful, atrocious, repetitive, and painfully bad? I, I, I'm reaching here, but we we want to have fun with this segment. Uh, if anybody wants to throw out a suggestion, I'm all ears. Uh, but this is supposed to kind of have some fun with what the announcer said. I will reserve the right to highlight something done well in this segment, especially when we get a game. Call by Raph, because you know me, I can't say a negative thing about Raph. Don't
0: forget our friend of the podcast, Brian Custer, man. We got to keep him positive as well. We got to keep
1: that winning streak alive. All right. On the call this week was Mike Cousins doing the play-by-play and Fran for sure doing the color. I'm going to start off with Fran. Fran starts off by saying, I expect Seton Hall to be very sloppy early on in this game. You expect them? To be very sloppy they, they they haven't even played like two minutes of the game Are you just expect them to be bad what why because they didn't have practice you didn't just say i expect things to be a little choppy i could see some uneasiness i could see some you know them getting the rust off what am I missing? You know, early in the game, I texted you and I told you, you know, who
0: needed more practice so far than the Seton Hall Pirates, Fran Fischella. I, I don't know if he needed a few exhibition games to get into mid-season form, but he was just just plain old awful. I mean, later on, and, and we're being kind here, there were a ton of things he said that make you just scratch your head. But Fran says later on uh, uh, about Ike, the big guy does not have good hands. He's a live body.
1: You might as well just say he's five fouls at this point. You beat me to it. You beat me to it. But that that's what I took out of that comment, and that's just – I mean, you haven't seen Ike really play yet, but maybe he called one seat in a hall game last year, maybe two. And Ike is an automatic five fouls because he dropped a couple passes. Trust me. I think a lot of other people are afraid that that's where it could be trending, but you know, at the end of the game, Ike, Ike wasn't that bad. His stat line, he did put in what, like 8.6 rebounds you know, a, a couple blocks, five fouls. That that's what I'm away from that comment. Fran was, Fran was tough.
0: My cousins wasn't going to be outdone in that game. So he came up, with the following gem when you lose a miles powell and romaro gill you can have a drop-off but they have sustained their success so mike which is it which is it is it the drop-off or sustained and and one half of the first game you can't tell yet can you
1: you haven't even seen them play a game yet. D- define success. Are we talking about success? The fact that they're tied at halftime? Are we defining success because they were in it down the stretch? He made that comment nowhere close to the ball game. So sustained success to me, after what Miles Powell and Romaro Gill did last year, is them still competing for the Big East regular season title, competing for an NCAA tournament berth. That they haven't played a game yet. And they sustained success. Based on what? uh, What a mess. And then last to wrap it up, uh, Mike also basically says, Willard is also demonstrating some follicular veracity. You and him should have a little contest about who's got the best (laughs) vocabulary. Follicular (laughs) veracity. I'm, I'm done. I think Mike here is just trying to
0: fill some dead air because he's got nothing else to say right now. He he can't come up with anything to say about the Hall. He can't come up with anything to say about Louisville. But he
1: happened to see the coach had a beard underneath his mask, and that's where he went with it. Well, if if Mike doesn't have anything to say, trust me, I got plenty to say in this next segment that we're going to make, due to this year, a permanent fixture on the podcast. We are going to call this next segment Pandemic pandemonium because there is plenty to talk about and it's not necessarily in relation to Seton Hall specifically, but we have to talk about it because it's the landscape of college basketball and it ultimately has a direct impact on how Seton Hall and the rest of college basketball needs to navigate the 2020-21 season. And I'm I'm taken back by some of the things that transpired over the weekend. This situation blows my mind. Somebody in their traveling party actually tested positive prior to the kansas game tom and they played and it got worse from there two players tested positive post the kansas game and they're having a maskless celebration in the locker room and what happens I hey, don't worry we're gonna play auburn the following day and only the two players that tested positive Well, the ones that were isolated, which was in line with the state of Florida's mandated rules relative to the coronavirus. Forget about what the NCAA had mandated, we're moving forward. What the heck is going on Well now there, there's where it
0: comes from Is it a mandate which means it's something you have to follow Or is it a recommendation at this point point? And here's where the problem is Is that we don't have uniformity across college basketball Which kind of shocks me How do you let the conferences come up with each and every one of their guidelines I mean everyone's in a different part of the country Everyone follows a different set of political beliefs which unfortunately is what drives a lot of these decisions. You can't do it. You got to come up and say, these are the rules. Whether you agree with the rules or not, or whether you then later on change them slightly, uh, but it all has to come from the
1: top. You can't let the inmates rule the asylum here. Is it too late to go back and make a change? Is it too late for the NCAA to impose this uniformity? and a set of guidelines that we have to follow as a sport? Is it already too late? Because it's just continuing to perpetuate itself in other situations. Here's Sacred Heart and Rutgers. Sacred Heart and Rutgers played the opening night uh, on the 25th, and Sacred Heart is now pausing their program's activities due to a positive COVID test. And then Steve Peichel is caught, saying the following because they continue to play their next game against FDU and less than last time I checked. If you just played a team that now has a positive test, you're supposed to contact trace and pause yourself. And Michael goes, we have the best doctors and medical protocol in this country. I know that they've tested a bunch of times before we played them and everybody was negative. Is, is anybody following the news? You could not test positive One moment have had The virus and then tested positive a few days later that does not mean that you tested negative prior to that game or potentially post game and that it wasn't in your system going forward and it could have been passed at that time what are these comments our doctors are better than
0: yours what well, what is going on? What's going on is Steve is looking at his national ranking, and he's saying, I'm 15th in the country. I'm not stopping this ride. That's what slow he's down, saying. Slow down, slow down, 24th. Slow the heck down. I'm sorry.
1: That was just Jeff Goodman's overreaction this morning. Look, I'm going to continue with one more example because it did directly impact Seton Hall. Obviously, with all the Baylor situation of them uh, having their coach, Scott Drew, test positive, there was a lot of apprehension from them playing in Bubbleville up in the up in Mohegan Sun before they were scheduled to come down and play Seton Hall. They were going to push forward, and they just got a lot of bad PR, so they backed out of Mohegan Sun. Seton Hall backed out of their matchup, mutually agreed upon, and then all of a sudden, they're setting up games in Vegas for the same weekend and they're playing Louisiana Lafayette in Washington this weekend. I- I'll say it again. What is going on? Baylor's putting
0: too much stock in the comment that everything that happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So, I mean, again, this comes from where they come from Baylor is potentially a number one team this year. They're going to keep this ride going. I mean, again, you asked the question before you put out these uh, examples. Can the NCAA do something now? Sure, it can. You can put up these these rules at any time you want, and you could put serious ramifications attached to them. They should be. And, and I'm not saying that the current system is perfect. I'm not saying 14 days quarantine, seven day reacclimation but put in a system and say, this is what you need to follow. Everyone needs a a common ground to follow. And to be honest with you, you've got Gonzaga and you've got Rutgers and you've got Baylor potentially putting people at risk. Just because they don't want to stop their
1: successful ride. Uh, it's just—it's just going to be a long season. And as excited as I was for these first few days, and I'm going to enjoy the ride as long as we can. There's just so much uncertainty. There is so much disconnect. I am just ultimately concerned as to how we get to the finish line in this crazy season. Hence we're gonna have this segment because we have to. I just I don't know how the twists and turns continue to develop as we go week to week. I just I'm 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 at a loss. We it, just have really to roll first with week.
0: it, Mike. I mean, look at this. Like I mentioned earlier. on saturday there was this potential of playing saint joe's up in the mohegan sun that fell apart and now i think maybe a more interesting battle's coming up here maybe not on the floor but the storylines around it we've got iona coming to the rock and playing their first game of the season now people are going to say oh it's iona but who's coaching iona Kevin Willard's former boss and all-time coaching great Rick
1: Patino. that's who oh, I have an issue with this scheduling matchup right out of the gate you have that whole St. Joe's situation where we kind of agree to play them they're flying back immediately to meet protocol so we can play them and here's Slick Willie picking up the phone and calling his uh his mentor I don't know whatever you want to call it here but you know I felt like he manipulated Kevin here and I Maybe I'm wrong, but why can't they just sit there and say, you know what? All right, we're going to play this year. No, Patino has to set up a return game for next year at Madison Square Garden or at UBS Arena, the new home of the Islanders, next to Belmont Park. You know what? This this is an easy game for Seton Hall. Uh, I I just, I just jinxed him. This is a game that Seton Hall should win. We're going to break down their roster for Iona in a second, but this is Patino's first year. He's got a lot of guys that are not playing right now. He's got a lot of new faces to his program. This is not going to be any type of vintage Rick Patino team, even at an Iona program. But what's he do? He gets a return game. The NCAA basketball is probably going to be on better footing. He's got a return game for Seton Hall to come play at his place. Kudos to him. I feel like he kind of got one over Kevin here. Kevin could have just said, you know what? You need a game? I'm at Seton Hall. You're not at Louisville anymore, coach. Come to me. I don't return games. It's not the way it works anymore.
0: All right, you're making a big assumption that Rick Patino is even going to be at Iona next year. Let's just talk about this year and what the teams look like. So Iona's got a couple of key returnees coming in this year, mostly at the guard position. You got Asante Gist, a guard from East Orange. He comes back last year. He had 10 points a game, almost two and a half assists a game. In addition to Isaiah Ross, another guard coming all the way out from Iowa. He's an 11 points a game guy. Additionally, he's got some good newcomers. Robert Brown played at New Mexico State. He's a grad transfer guard. He scored 14 points a game last year. And a pair of Juco guys, Beric Jean-Louis, a wing, who actually played at New Mexico State a couple years ago, but last year averaged 13 points a game at Florida Southwest State. He's not much of a shooter. He's more of a scorer. He only shot 29% from three last year. But he's got a big man Juco transfer, Osborne Shima, originally from Rwanda, and he played New Mexico Military Institute last year.
1: Yeah, but here's my issue, Tom. Everyone's all over Twitter kind of pumping up these games and rolling them out. And as per Gales Nation Hoops Twitter account, Shima and Gist are already out with injuries against Seton Hall. So what what are they going to do? Put a couple guys on the court that have D1 experience you know, uh, in, in this game? It's their first game of the season. They were coming out of a quarantine, just like Seton hall did where they had to pause. They didn't get the practice. They got excuses, lined up the wazoo for why they shouldn't be competitive in this game. Seton hall's got the game under their belt. Like Louisville had, we should run them out of the building. Oh, absolutely. But that's not the story here, Mike. The story is Rick
0: Pitino returning from purgatory after coaching a couple years in Greece. Now, let me tell you, if that's the punishment, sign me up. I'll spend a couple years in Greece coaching a little basketball. But that's the story. He's making his return. You know, it's the first, like you mentioned, it's the first game of their season. Not a whole lot of practice time. They did a COVID nineteen pause, and Seton Hall should run them out of the building
1: if they were healthy and and Patino had more time to prepare. Would you be concerned that a Rick Patino coach team would press the heck out of Seton Hall with limited productivity in their backcourt with Bryce Aiken being out hurt?
0: Uh, it would be concerning. The, the score would be closer, but no, I wouldn't be concerned. I wouldn't be overly concerned, especially since, you know, I hate to say it, Sandro's in the lineup. And he's key on our press break. He really dribbles the ball well for a big guy. He sees the ball. He can pass the ball right over top of those little guards who are pesky. And so would it be closer? Sure. Is Patino a fabulous coach? Yes. But there's a point in the time when you got to say talent's going to win out. And Iona is short on talent
1: this year. So we're in agreement. A couple of nice little side storylines. But the reality is Seton Hall is the much more talented team on the court. Game under their belt. They should be the first win of the season for the Seton Hall team trying to kind of figure out where it's going. I don't care
0: who is on that other bench, Mike. If I'm Willard, I'm beating the brakes off of Iona on Monday.
1: You know, that's not going to happen, so stop it. Beat the brakes off of him. He's not going to do that. There's a mutual respect. Why he even gave him the matchup is due to that mutual respect. Mutual respect.
0: Back to, whatever, we, let's move on here Okay, the next game on the schedule is potentially a road game
1: at University of Rhode Island Wait, wait, wait a minute, no, it's on the schedule, Tom It's this Wednesday what Mike, this entire season's potential at this point <laughs> uh, you know, But potential is the next game against Oregon We're announcing games that aren't even official yet Rhode Island's on the schedule We're Okay, less, all right, and all less right. The, uh, Point and taken uh, unless the pandemic paranoia sets in, we are playing that game.
0: Now, hopefully, we'll be rolling out the season's official first behind enemy lines, and we're going to drop it right before the game on Wednesday. Now, if we actually end up dropping, it's another story. Hopefully, this game will come out and we don't have another situation like Baylor. Let's talk about that potential game that you just brought up for next Friday.
1: And that's flying out to Omaha and playing against Oregon. It's being reported by Matt Norlander out on Twitter that they're supposed to play Friday, December 4th out in Omaha, Nebraska. It's part of a doubleheader on Creighton's campus. What's really interesting about this is now it becomes the second matchup in as many years and who can forget the battle that we had last year. Don't do it. Uh, number. I got to do it, Tom. I got to do it. it. number, number 11 versus number 13. The pirates surrendered a 19 point second half lead, losing a heartbreaker 71 to 69 in the first round of the battle for Atlantis down in the Bahamas. You know, it featured that marquee matchup of All-Americans, Miles Powell versus Peyton Pritchard. But this year's matchup's going to be a little bit different. Currently, they're ranked 20th. They're picked to finish third in the Pac-12 preseason coaches poll. And they've also had their challenges relative to the schedule. Their first game was canceled. That opener for them was supposed to be on November 25th, but Eastern Washington had to pause due to COVID positive tests. And then they basically decided to pull out of a multi-team event at Mohican Sun where the Ducks were scheduled to play Missouri and Virginia Tech on December 2nd and December 3rd. And they really haven't been able to fill the gaps on their schedule ever since. So the game versus Seton Hall could very likely be their first game of the season and Mike they're not coming in
0: the same team as last year they lost a ton of players you lost three guys to graduation you lost Peyton Pritchard Anthony Mathis and Shakur Justine you also had three players transfer out the system Francis Okora Addison Patterson and CJ Walker they do have some talent coming back they got Chris Duarte senior guard 13 points a game almost six boards Will Richardson's a junior guard, 11 points a game, almost two and a half assists. He was previously their sixth man, and he could be a big-time breakout player for them.
1: And they also bring in a lot of new talent as well. I mean, this is the new college basketball. We have to take advantage of the transfer portal, and I think they've clearly done that. They have Amari Hardy, a guard senior grad transfer at a UNLV last year. He was third-team all Mountain West averaging 14 and a half points a game, three and a half assists. And here's a familiar name for Pirate fans. Eugene Omarui, forward senior sit out transfer from Rutgers 13.8 points per game over seven boards. The last time that he played for Rutgers kind of a, a, a weird out of nowhere transfer. He was heading into his senior season and decided to not stay and play for Rutgers last year because he wanted to go to a, a winning program. You know, surprisingly Rutgers had a really good year last year, but they pick up that talent. It's a player that Seton Hall should be familiar with. He was the best player on that Rutgers team when they faced him two years prior. They also have Eric Williams Jr., a forward. He was a sit-out transfer from Duquesne. And he could also score the basketball, 14 points a game, eight-plus rebounds. He can shoot the three as well, 37%, and this kid can score it. 36 versus George Mason on nine three balls. Lastly, they also add Jalen Curry, a freshman guard, of the four star recruiting variety. But to me, the potential X factor is in Folly Dante. He's a six-eleven center. Now he's a sophomore. Last year, he reclassified to the 2019 class. He was a five star recruit, but because he reclassified so late, he had eligibility issues. So only played a total of 12 games, missing the Seton Hall matchup. He is the only real size that they have on this roster. Besides him, the next two biggest guys are Omarui and Williams, both checking in at only six foot six. If this guy can't do the flow of the game or he gets into early foul trouble, Sandro should have an opportunity to feast all over them. Or better yet, match Ike up this kid, try to neutralize each other, and then Sandro just goes to work, Tom put sandro in the low block and just let him do his business so
0: mike i'm gonna go back to the math on this point like you mentioned, this is going to be their first game. They've got a lot of talent on this team, but I think they're going to be a little rusty. They're not going to be in game shape necessarily. I think Seton Hall is going to squeak
1: by here. I think it's very, very coy move by Willard because you ha- you take advantage of what you were just at a disadvantage down in Louisville. You're the team that's rusty. The other team's got a game under his belt. Th- Seton Hall may have at this point three full games under their belt and now you have a chance to knock off a top 25 team neutral site build your resume it's not that neutral to you you're familiar with the creighton scenario because you play there every year i i like this i really do think they can kind of get a win and bolster their resume i
0: don't like the fact that this is potentially even a game on our schedule i don't think putting these kids into four games in a seven day period is fair or actually it borders on irresponsible, Mike, in addition to all the travel that you're doing. But it is what it is. And I'll be happy
1: enough to watch the game, I guess. All right. Speaking of possibly padding their resume, I, I think the last game that we're previewing here for the four games for this next upcoming week you know, is, is the game that they should be able to take care of business, even though it's a true road environment. They're playing at Penn State on Sunday, December sixth at the Bryce Jordan Center. People sit there and go, "Oh, I, Penn State's good, right?" Last year they finished twenty-one and ten overall, eleven and nine in the Big Ten. They got as high as ninth nationally in the rankings, and then the kind of the wheels came off the bus a bit. They lost five out of their last six to end the year. They end up losing to graduation. Lamar Stevens, the program's second all-time leading scorer, they. Watkins, the team's third leading scorer off last year's roster. But most importantly, head coach Pat Summers suddenly resigned this summer amid an internal investigation into inappropriate conduct. And assistant Jim Perry took over as the interim. I, I, I know. T- I, Mike, just to cut you off here, I don't know that that's a uh, suddenly resigned.
0: That was a long time coming. It, it, <laughs> you know, Pat Summers made some insensitive comments to players, and, and that, that's what started this whole thing. And it's been a long time coming. He, he, they, they, they should have handled that a lot earlier than they, they did sure sure go, go ahead but, but yeah, it we, is penn state so we all know about uh, penn state handling problems within their athletic uh, department so i'm
1: not i'm not going to let you go in this direction just just tell me about who they got coming back <laughs> or, or who they, or who they've, <laughs> they've got go some ahead.
0: returning players with a lot of potential there they've got myron jones he's a junior guard 13 points a game jamari wheeler a senior point guard he started all 31 games last year he'll be back Isaiah Brockington, junior guard, eight points a game. Miles Dredd, uh, another junior forward, eight points a game. And Sam Sesum, he's a transfer from Binghamton. He scored 19 points a game for them last year as their guard. That right now, they're, they're not predicted to do very well in a Big Ten. They're predicted to finish 12th out of 14 teams in the uh, preseason coaches poll.
1: I feel bad for, I feel bad that Lavelle, Sanders, friend of the podcast, former Seton Hall alum. He, he's losing a great player up there in Binghamton. That, that, that's what I feel bad about uh, when, when I hear Sam Sesson is going to be playing for them. Other he he that, told us
0: a little story about Sam at the foul line. I remember that coming out at a po- interview, if I'm not
1: mistaken. All I got to say is just like everybody else, they've had their early season challenges. Their game against Drexel was postponed. Then they opened up the other day against VMI. VMI, Tommy. Who, If anybody remembers that name, that's the time that Seton Hall lit them up for like 135 when Jamel Jackson sent the NCAA record for most threes in a game at that time. Talk about a guy who never uh, had a shot did in like. Look, VMI is really not a top-tier NCAA program, but VMI got off to a 12-point lead with eight minutes left to go in the first half, and it was only a two-point game at halftime. Penn State needed a 17-3 to run to open things up in the second half. Yes, Wheeler had a career high 18. Brockington went for 15 and 8, and they played seven guys. But they jacked up 36 threes, Tom. 36 threes. We'd be having a field day if Seaton Hall put up 36 threes. And they only had seven assists. It's not because they were getting looks off of great passes. They're gonna struggle. They're gonna have another game in between. They're scheduled to play VCU on Wednesday. But I'm gonna go once again, Seaton Hall, kind of getting a road victory. Heading their resume. It's not going to be a sexy win, but it's another game that kind of, you know, builds the resume early on with the pandemic. It's close to home. It doesn't seem like Penn state's going to be playing a lot of other teams in between. It should be able to remain on the schedule. That's all I
0: got. So here's my point of concern. This will be their fourth game in seven days, like I mentioned. In addition to that, that's a whole lot of travel that they're going to be going up to. I think the boys are going to be tired. I I think in a normal season, this team gets their pants kicked by Seton Hall. I think it's going to be a lot closer than it should be. But I think Big
1: Blue takes the victory. You think this is going to be like the NBA weary travel legs? You know, the I, I, fourth I, game at the end of the week?
0: I, I do. I, I think it's going to be one of those games that at the end of the night, we're going to be sitting there going, how did we not have to beat these guys by a lot more? But it's going to be what it's going to be at this point. But I think still we're looking at a W here. Now, Mike, in the big picture, let's say all four of these games do come through. We're looking at a three-in-one week. That's got to make you
1: happy, No. I think they have an opportunity to sweep all four potentially. But once again, another big if. If you told me that Bryce Aiken had gotten one game under his belt and then they warm up against Iona and they played a good game and he's kind of getting in rhythm, I, I think they could run the table in every one of these games. Three and one's fine. I don't know what to make of all this early in the season. It really is going to come back down to all the ifs that we talked about in the season preview, and I'm on pins and needles trying to figure out how quickly it's going to be for Bryce to get back in the lineup, and can he stay in the lineup? You know, Sandra looked good. Some of the other guys are going to have to kind of shake off the rust. I'm excited about the team. But, man, there's just way too much unknown right now.
0: Well, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV, but I'm going to say this. Based on what we've seen from Kevin Willard in the past, I expect Bryce to sit against Iona, and I expect him to start against URI. That's what I'm saying right here. I don't know any inside information. I have not talked to any team doctors, but that's what I'm expecting. A twisted ankle He's going to be back in the lineup against
1: University of Rhode Island, and he's going to start. You know what's going to be challenging, Tommy? You think it's tough to play four games in seven days. we got to break down four games on the next podcast. How the (laughs) heck are we doing that, man?
0: We're not going to go into in-depth like this, I'll tell you that. But, Mike, aren't you happy? And more importantly, Mike, aren't you thankful that we're back in the swing of
1: things? I'm thankful, Tommy. Big Blue is back in action. Let's do it. Go Pirates. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other of your favorite listening platforms. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle, at El Coast Pirates. We are also proud members of the What You Expect Network of Podcasts. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include... Interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates.